This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. This show is brought to you by the Buddhist Youth Association every Sunday, bringing Buddhism to the community of the Waikato. We also give away a range of free English or Chinese Buddhism books, MP3 or tapes on Buddhism. If you'd like one, please send a letter with $3 worth of stamps in an envelope to P.O. Box 82146, Highland Park, Howick, Auckland. Or you can phone 092713377. Buddhist Youth Association, respectful, beneficial, empowering. Hello, thank you for joining us today and welcome. Wasn't that a wonderful poem that we ended the program with last week? It reminded me of the work of one of my favorite poets, Dylan Thomas, and the more I think on it and read it, the more its vivid imagery and heartfelt intentions resonate. Here it is again, Kungadawa's Medium of the Breath, Tonglen Tango. All right, I'll write, not words reflected on, but starbursts of radiant light from nowhere, the deepest inner space. It's neither here nor there, it's everywhere, it's messenger the bright green hummingbird with scarlet throat, sipping from red geranium flowers, sunlit, shivering warmly in summer breeze, outside this cabin on Greenhorn Mountain. As joy percolates, exhales, bubbles up, sizzles from fingertips through neurons to blue jays and small lizards. Why, oh why, those tiny ants love to gather and sing songs in the scallop shell I put used tea bags in. And out, out to foxes, chipmunks, bears, turkeys, marmots, deer and chipmunks, all human and non-human beings in Orphan Valley and beyond, New Mexico, please dance and play guitars, tap feet, strike drums in every pueblo, and share the pulsing rhythm of happiness without reason in bustling cities, Albuquerque, Phoenix, Denver, Chicago, the angels of California, San Francisco, may this vibrant joy be yours to wiggle your toes and ease your woes that no one knows this blood's for you. Just give me in return, address unknown return to sender, your skull-cracking anxieties, hypertension, your hot black misery, stomach-cramping hunger, your impotent murderous purple rage, your long-held grievances, irritations beyond the reach of Excedrin and Valium and extra-strength Tylenol, your headaches, ulcers and joint-twisting arthritic inflammations, your gasping for breath, ephysemia and cancerous agonies of toxic self-hate. Give me your jailhouse blues, head-hanging disappointments and suicide despairs. I drink them in. I take upon me your muffled sorrow, nightmare fears, cockroach tenement, snoop, dog-eat-dog, murder-rape, barroom and crack-house, round-and-round addictions, korwa, your hunched and stooped depression, salt tears of self-pity and remorse, all the pain of wasted life, twisted limbs, I breathe it in. I draw it in hot and sulfurous through every pore, deep down into the core of my being, there's room for more. And again I radiate and offer you in the ten directions, cool and blissful, all joy, luminous peace, nothing wanting, like a gentle summer rain that quenches every thirst and out of nowhere brings an unexpected smile. 
refreshing breeze of deep contentment, sending and gathering, gathering and sending on the medium of the breath, sending and gathering for all beings everywhere. And now, with that extraordinary composition ringing in our minds, let's set our motivation for the program today. Seeing that we're talking about developing bodhicitta through practicing tonglen, or giving and taking, let's try to make bodhicitta our motivation, wishing that this program will become a cause for our enlightenment so that we can best benefit all beings, both in the short term and ultimately. That means we temporarily relieve them of all their everyday sufferings and ultimately lead them to enlightenment, the state completely free of all suffering, eternally. But if you can't take that on, please try to direct the positive potential of the program to your own liberation from all suffering. Thank you. Geshe Jamba Tekchok is a great scholar and practitioner in the Tibetan Guluk tradition and is a former abbot of Sarajay Monastery in South India. Now 84, he has travelled and taught widely in the West and was for 10 years the abbot and teacher at Nalanda Monastery in France. He has many students around the world. In his book, Transforming Adversity into Joy and Courage, he writes, At present, even if we want to give a small thing to someone, our miserliness often prevents us. This is because we are not familiar with a mind of giving. We have not accustomed ourselves to that attitude or gained experience in it. By meditating on giving and taking and thereby gaining experience in it, later when there is a need, we will be able to give our possessions and even our life without any sense of a loss. The Buddha said in the King of Concentration Sutra that if we habituate ourselves to the mind of giving, our intention to give will automatically induce the ability to actually give. When our generosity becomes highly evolved, we will not only be extremely happy to actually give our body and life, but the happiness we will derive merely from hearing someone ask for something will be far greater than the bliss of the peace that hearer and solitary realizer our hearts experience in Nirvana. The Buddha said that thinking again and again, if only I could make all sentient beings happy and free from suffering, will act as a condition for us to be able to help others automatically. If we do not think in this way, this wish will never come about. Although we are not able to benefit others immediately in the way we wish, thinking in this way is an excellent method for coming to the point where we can actually benefit them. Therefore, it is said we should think about this repeatedly. When we train our mind in this way, we must reflect that it's very important and worthwhile, recognizing that this is the very path along, along which the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas have passed. Now, just to stop here for some explanation. Some listeners may be unfamiliar with terms like hearer and solitary realizer and sentient beings, so I will explain briefly. Hearers and solitary realizers are arhats, or beings who are liberated from suffering, but not yet Buddhas. They experientially know the nature of reality, and so no longer have afflictive emotions. However, the subtle stains left by afflictive emotions and karma on their mind streams prevent them from attaining omniscience, the knowledge of all that can be known. They differ from bodhisattvas in that they don't have the intention to work for the liberation of all beings, but are satisfied with their own liberation. Through developing bodhicitta, practicing the six perfections, 
that is generosity, morality, patience, enthusiasm, concentration and wisdom, a bodhisattva progressively eliminates those subtle stains and becomes a Buddha. A hearer arat is one who attains liberation from listening to teachings in the company of others, while a solitary realizer is like a forest meditator who does it all on his own. And a sentient being is any being whose mind is still under the influence of karma and afflictive emotion, in other words, one who is not yet liberated. In the following passage, Geshe Tekchok mentions the Kadampa masters. These were ancient masters who followed the tradition of the Indian master Atisha and his disciple Jontumba. They were renowned for being particularly pure in their morality, practice and realizations. So now let's continue with Geshe Tekchok's explanation. He says, The Kadampa masters say that meditating on giving and taking is a very difficult practice which destroys something very difficult to destroy. Self-centeredness is difficult to eliminate, and yet that difficult practice eliminates it. May anyone who merely sees, hears, remembers, touches or talks to me be freed in that very instant from suffering and receive all the help and happiness they need. If we think and pray in this way, when we later become enlightened, this will actually happen. At this time, we will be able to benefit easily and extensively those we come into contact with. We aspire, may all the suffering and negativities of all sentient beings ripen on me. May my virtue free all my greatest from suffering and its causes and give them happiness and peace. May this happen not just in this life, but in all my future lives. May I benefit sentient beings in whatever way they desire by means of my body, speech and mind. By imagining that all sentient beings receive all that they need in the short term and long term through giving them our body possessions and virtues, we accumulate vast positive potential. This is so because the positive potential is proportionate to the number of sentient beings we help, and the number of sentient beings is immeasurable. Thus, Nagarjuna said, if the virtue from meditating on giving and taking were transformed into form, there would not be enough space to hold it. And that's what Geshe Jampa Tekchok writes about the practice we've been going through during the last few weeks in this program, the practice of Tonglen, or in English, giving and taking. And that introductory poem was all about giving and taking. You may remember that briefly the practice is taking on one's own and other sufferings, dumping it on the self-cherishing thought, and thereby destroying it, and then breathing out all our love, virtue and happiness to all beings, including ourselves. As you can see, such a practice has enormous benefits, so it's worthwhile to spend some time on it, even if we feel we cannot do it at this time. At least, we can develop the mind of admiration and aspiration, which can become a cause to start practicing it in the future. In fact, Geshe Tekchok goes on to describe how to practice in our everyday life to eventually realize this mind of bodhicitta. He says that as we go about our business, when the objects of the senses appear to our minds, we usually react with attachment, aversion or ignorance. If we see something pleasing, attachment arises. When we come across something unpleasant, anger or aversion rears its ugly head. And a neutral kind of apathetic indifference takes over when we experience something as neither delicious nor displeasing. May these three poisonous attitudes never be generated in the mind streams of any sentient being, 
May they arise in my mind instead, Geshe Tetchok advises us to think. Now, of course, this is not necessarily breathing in misery and breathing out happiness, but it has the same kind of effect. We can do the breathing exercises on the meditation cushion, but it will probably be easier to use just our thought processes while interacting with others. Geshe Tetchok goes on, Whenever things do not go right for us, we should pray, May I bear this problem instead of other sentient beings having to endure it. May they never have difficulties and always be happy. We can think in this way no matter where we are or what we do, he says, and thus keep love and compassion alive and growing in our hearts. Now I've described before how I practice this whenever I have to go to the dentist for work on my teeth. For me, Tonglen is especially effective, as I think injections are more trouble than they're worth, so try to avoid them. The Tonglen practice thus really does help, especially in diminishing the mind that gets so tense, anticipating and dreading all the pain that it imagines is about to arrive. But not only is this practice helpful when we are facing difficulties, it's also very useful when enjoyment comes our way. Let's say, for instance, we sit down to our favorite breakfast in the morning. There it is, already looking delicious and tempting to a body that hasn't eaten since the evening of the previous day. Now we can't just pile it onto our plate and start start wolfing it down like any animal you care to imagine, with no thought for anything but happy taste buds and a full stomach. Or we could pause, appreciate our extraordinary good fortune in having such excellent food, and then make the wish that all beings have delicious and nutritious food, just as they like it. I don't do this all the time, but when I do, it sometimes worries me that because some animals only eat others, I'm wishing for the impossible. When some creatures are satisfied, others necessarily suffer. Anyway, to return to Geshe Tekchok, while we think of taking on the difficulties of ours, others with our own, he suggests we recite to ourselves, May sentient beings' negativities ripen on me, and my virtue ripen on them. May I experience their suffering, and may they all be happy through my virtue. May all the suffering of my greaters, whatever it is, ripen on me. By the virtues of all the bodhisattvas, may my greaters enjoy happiness. When we recite this, we should try to experience its meaning deeply in our hearts. If we do, our self-centeredness will vanish, and we will be free from the harm and pain we suffer under its influence. Incidentally, if you are wondering what he means by, by migrators, it refers to beings who are not yet liberated and who migrate from one existence to another, one life to another endlessly, under the compulsion of karma and afflictive emotions. He goes on, We need to be decisive. If we dither, wonder whether there is benefit in training the mind in this, or worrying if we will be successful in doing it, we will waste a precious opportunity. Rather, we should dispel these useless doubts and train from the heart. We know through all the quotations that this practice is supported by the Buddha and the great practitioners throughout the centuries. We know through our own experience that this practice benefits others and ourselves. We should make up our mind to train in this practice and then do it without doubting ourselves. If we do that, we will eventually be able to perfect this practice. So there you have it. Tupton Children also echoes Geshe Tekchok's words. Talking about practicing taking on our own future suffering, she says, When you get into this, really do it. 
I remember when we were having the retreat that I just came back from in Cloud Mountain. One person had a cold, and you could just see everybody in the room going, I wish they went somewhere else, because I don't want to get their cold, and they're coughing and sneezing, and I don't want to get their cold. Imagine the future you that has a cold. Can you have compassion for the future you that has a cold and take on their suffering now? If you can do that, then why can't we take on the other person's suffering now if the person is sitting next to us? In the thought training teachings, it talks so much about how an actual bodhisattva welcomes suffering because they see suffering and problems and difficulties as a way to purify previously created negative karma. They also give all that suffering and problems to their own self-centered thoughts that created the negative karma to start with. So real bodhisattvas, when they have difficulties, are so happy because they know that it really pushes them along the path so they pray they have problems. The thought training teachings are suggesting that when we have a problem or when we have a fear of having a problem, we should pray to have it so that we purify that negative karma so that it helps us generate compassion and renunciation and helps us see the disadvantages of self-centeredness so we can have more compassion and so on and so forth. We have to be a little careful here. It's all very well to think we're good bodhisattvas and pray to get difficulties and problems, but first we must be certain that we are able to cope with them. I know one relatively new practitioner who heard the teachings such as these, got all inspired, took the bodhisattva vows and started to pray for difficulties. The difficulties obliged and started pouring in, only for her to realize that she was nowhere near able to cope with them. She quickly backed off the prayers for problems. Only when we are certain our mind is stable and strong enough should we follow Tupton Chodron's advice, like the one she next uses as an example. She says, It was really interesting when one person on the retreat told me that when this other person got sick, she started saying, Okay, let me get a cold. Let me get the cold and I'll purify. So she said she got a cold. It lasted for an hour and a half. It's really kind of amazing what happens sometimes when you do this meditation. That doesn't mean that you do the taking and giving meditation to cure your own cold. We should really do it with genuine love and compassion for others, being willing to have their cold. So in the same way, whenever you have some problem, if you think, as long as I'm going through this, may it suffice for everybody else who has a similar kind of problem, or even for anyone who has any problem whatsoever, as long as I'm having difficulties, it's happening. It's not going to go away. May it suffice for whatever everybody else is going through. And then you do the taking and giving meditation. You imagine taking on all their suffering and using it to destroy your self-centeredness. It's a very, very powerful meditation. It works very well when you're sick, as in the example I just gave. I remember one time years ago, I had an infection in my big toe. We usually ignore our big toe. How often do you think of your big toe? Not very often. Talk about taking things for granted. We really do take our big toe for granted. So one day, years ago, I had an infection inside my big toe, and I was living in a monastery out in the countryside, and it was night time and my big toe was throbbing. I could never imagine that anything could hurt so badly, especially a big toe. And there was nothing to do about it, because you couldn't go to the doctor until the morning. I was sitting there going crazy with a the pain, and then I just started doing this meditation. 
As long as my toe hurts, may it suffice for the suffering of everybody. I just kept doing the taking and giving meditation all night because it was very difficult to sleep with that kind of pain and it helped me get through the night. So it's a very, very good meditation. She then echoes what Sogyal Rinpoche said in our last program about taking on our own dark moods and emotions, what he called environmental tonglen. She says that, for instance, tonglen can be useful when we feel afraid. When we have fear, we're pushing something away, she says. We're rejecting something. Do you feel that when you have fear? When we have fear, we're saying, get that away from me. And that feeling of get that away from me creates more mental turmoil and more mental suffering. I find it very interesting when I have fear to say, may I take on that fear from everybody else? May I take on others' fear, which is so unpleasant? And may I take on the painful situation that I'm afraid of, that other people are now experiencing? So, instead of being afraid of X, Y, and Z, I'm welcoming it. I'm taking it on. I find it to be a very, very effective method for working with a mind that's afraid. Just take on the suffering that you're afraid of and say, Okay, I will bear this for the benefit of sentient beings. And I won't just bear it and sit and feel like there's a ton of bricks on my head, but I will take that suffering and use it to destroy the cause of suffering, my own self-grasping and the self-centeredness at my heart and use it to smash it and have that light of love that you radiate out to others. Similarly, when you're doing the visualization of giving, really get into it. If there's something that you are holding very tightly to, oh, I'm so afraid I'm going to lose my house, I'm so afraid I'm going to lose whatever it is that you're clinging to, multiply it and give it away. Go right into that situation mentally that you don't want and give it away. These shoes, I finally got the shoes that I always always loved, or the sports equipment that I always loved. I don't want to give it away. Then just mentally multiply it, transform it, and make it into whatever anybody else needs, and give it away. Mentally, it becomes food that's going into Afghanistan. It's a peaceful society going into Iraq. It's becoming food going into the impoverished inner city. I mean, just send out whatever it is that you're clinging to, and imagine it just becomes what others need. So it's a very wonderful meditation and very practical and effective in our own life. If when you're doing it you start to feel afraid, no way do I want to take on their suffering and give them my happiness, go back and do some more meditation about the kindness of others and the disadvantages of self-centeredness. Go back and review that so that we renew the love and compassion that enables us to do the meditation. And there's somebody that's probably going to think, It's fine if it's a visualization in meditation, but what about if it really works? Don't you have that kind of fear? It's bad enough thinking about others suffering, but what happens if I do the meditation and I actually get the cold? Then you say, wait, I'm so glad, because that's what we're doing it for, isn't it? To develop compassion and take on others suffering. Or what happens when you're imagining giving away your house and everything in it, your family and all your money, And then the mind comes up and says, Oh, what happens if they actually do go away? This is a nice visualization, but I want to keep everything nice and comfortable, thank you very much. And what happens if they do go away? You say, Good, I've been meditating to really give the happiness to others, and now it's working. I can actually give happiness to others. So rejoice. That point, that one that's going, Hey, wait a minute, I don't really want to do this. That is the object to be negated in the emptiness meditation.
When you do the taking and giving meditation and that thought comes up, no way do I want suffering, no way do I want to give away my happiness, look at how that I seems to exist. Because that is the appearance of the inherently existent I, the one that says, oh, this is fine as a visualization, but I don't want it to work because I have enough problems. And look at that I. That's the object to be negated. So you can actually, if you're skilled, at that point, do a meditation on emptiness and start looking for that I, because it appears so vividly and so real then. Who is that? What is that I? Where does it exist? It feels so real. What exactly is it? Is it my body? Is it my mind? Is it the collection of the two? Is it something separate from the two? And really analyze Try to find that I that seems so real in that very moment. Through taking and giving, you can see that we can cultivate very, very strong love and compassion. It's very easy after that to generate bodhicitta because we start saying, well, if I really want to bring others happiness and take on their suffering, I need to become a Buddha quickly so that from my side there won't be obstructions and limitations to the good that I can do. And that is Tibetan children's advice. And now it's almost time to go, but before we say goodbye for another week, here's a rather incredible story of the power of Tong Len from the Dean Wilson book, Don't Waste Pain. Wilson writes, There's a story I heard from a colleague concerning Tong Len. A student of his related it to him. His student encountered a severe accident during an automobile journey. While she waited for the traffic to start up again, She exhausted her fidgeting and the choice of radio stations. She then thought about the suffering that was being experienced due to the car wreck and started doing Tonglen for the injured in the accident. She continued Tonglen as she crawled past the wreckage when the traffic resumed. A body was being removed from a car as she passed. Months later, a knock came at her door and a woman unknown to her asked if she had been present at the accident, recounting the day. Surprised, she said yes. The visitor explained that she was the person removed from the car and that she felt she had a choice whether to leave life at that point. She had had a near-death experience. Because she felt someone completely unknown to her caring for her, she decided to return to live longer. She said that from the place of being only slightly connected to her body, she could see and remember the license plate of the car where that feeling of hope was coming from. She vowed to find the person and thank her. So now, after all we've discussed about Tonglen today and in the last few weeks, those who still have doubts about this practice must be very hard people to convince. This completes our discussions on the two methods of developing bodhicitta. And next week, we will continue with the next verses of Lama Tsongkhapa's text, The Three Principal Aspects of the Path. We started with a poem today, and I'm going to leave you with another not directly on Tonglen, but certainly related to it. It's a poem by Merit Malloy called Epitaph, and it reads, When I die, if you need to weep, cry for your brother or sister walking the street beside you. And when you need me, put your arms around anyone and give them what you need to give me. I want to leave you something, something better than words or sounds. Look for me in the people I've known or loved. And if you cannot give me away, at least let me live in your eyes and not on your mind. 
You can love me most by letting hands touch hands, by letting bodies touch bodies, and by letting go of children that need to be free. Love doesn't die, people do. So when all that's left of me is love, give me away. And that's it for today. Thanks for being with the program, and please dedicate any positive potential to the enlightenment of all sentient beings. I hope you'll tune in again next week. Have a wonderful week. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.